Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So pleased you've stopped in once again to take a look around the shop here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop and peruse the various curiosities and oddities we have on display. Of course, I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got something special. Take a look at this. It's a, a curious thing, a box, very simple, very uh, inornate, but it's really what is inside that is the strange thing. As we open it up and take a look, some pills are inside of this box. Curious black pills. Uh, no, we're not going to let you take any of these. The results could be dire or they could make all of your dreams come true. But are you willing to take that risk? And that is at the essence of today's episode as we talk about American Horror Story Season 10 double feature. So let's break out the mutoscope and delve into the first feature, Red Tide. Of course, American Horror Story has made a name for itself over the past several seasons of doing full-length stories uh, from episode one to usually, uh, they, they've averaged, I mean, the longest seasons have been 13 episodes. They've had shorter seasons where it's nine or ten episodes, but somewhere between that run has just been one story, one story arc. No matter how complicated and convoluted those story arcs got, uh, they were uh, a singular story. Now, uh, they've branched out the American Horror Story franchise into American Horror Stories, uh, a separate uh, series where they're doing standalone horror stories, uh, an anthology where each episode is a different story, which I personally love. Uh, I think uh, short stories and short seasons uh, play really well to the strengths of horror. Uh, you know, you don't linger too long on something horrifying and you start to see all the uh, cracks in the pavement, if you will. But uh, but they kind of went in this vein for season 10 of American Horror Story and played off the old double feature. I mean, they've done it in movie theaters, but that really plays more into the, the old classic drive-in movie double features. And they're doing two different stories. Uh, the first half of the season, the first six episodes, is the Red Tide uh, portion of the double feature. Then starting in... The next episode, episode seven, which comes out here, uh, here I believe once uh, this episode airs, um, it'll be on the 29th of September. Uh, we get Death Valley. That portion of the double feature kicks off. And I'm excited about that because I was really interested in what they were going to do with the double feature. Was it going to be two standalone stories in one season? Uh, were they going to try and tie them together somehow and in some very... Uh, complicated ways I, I don't know but uh, I was excited to see what they were going to do because I always like when you know a show kind of mix things up 
And I've been a huge fan of American Horror Story. I've watched all the seasons, except for the 1984 season. I have not watched that in in full transparency, but uh, I will be finishing that soon. Uh, it's just one of those seasons I just never got around to because things just got so uh, so complicated, and there was so much to watch at the time it came out. But I will watch 1984. But all the seasons that I've seen so far of American Horror Story, I've really liked. Uh, I wanted to like them more than I actually did in some cases. Uh, but every story has been unique. Uh, I love the idea. As I said in my review of American Horror Stories Season 1, um, I like the idea that they've got this troupe of actors. And each season features these actors, these same actors playing different roles. I, I think that's a, a wonderful idea. It, it kind of reminds me of Stephen King's uh, Desperation and Regulators books. Uh, one Desperation, the Stephen King book, uh, The Regulators, the Richard Bachman book, and how he used the same characters, so to speak, in each one, but... Uh, the characters had different personalities from one book to the next, and they played different roles from one book to the next. And that's kind of what he, uh, that was the inspiration he had for that, is this troupe of actors uh, playing these different roles in different stories. And, and I like how Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk uh, did that with this uh, with this anthology series, is using these, these same actors. I mean, there's so many actors that have been there since day one, Peter Evans, Lily Rabe, uh, Francis Conroy, some of those you know stalwart actors that have been there, uh, the rocks of the the franchise, and then they've brought in new blood as the seasons have gone on, and and some of those have come and gone, and some have stuck around. I was really glad to see uh, Adina Porter show up in this season again. Of course, uh, you know her from from True Blood. I think she had a a, a part in the uh, Vampire Diaries. Uh, she's been in American Horror Story since the I believe the Roanoke season, and just uh, she's such a wonderful actress because she can play so many different roles. Uh, just every every role she has, it seems like she brings a different nuance to it and a different uh, character angle. And I suppose that's what all actors are supposed to do. But I really enjoy seeing her take on various characters, whether it's you know being the uh, very codependent uh, drug addict mom in True Blood or or in this where she plays the the tough uh, police chief uh, of a small town small New England town it just you know she just brings a lot of uh, a lot of weight to her characters and a lot of believability I believe that she is every character she plays and I just I love to see her uh, and and actresses and actors like her uh, being brought into the franchise and uh, continuing in the franchise, which, like I said, you know, you have those people like the the Peter Evans, the Sarah Paulson. So she's another one. She's been there uh, from the beginning and, and been in almost all the seasons, if not all the seasons. But uh, Lily Rabe, again, uh, Francis Conroy, these uh, actors and actresses that have been with this uh, franchise from the beginning and kind of the rock. They're the foundation. And then you bring in great actresses like Adina Porter, to, to build on that. And that's one of the things I've loved about American Horror Story. And one of the things that makes me excited with every new season. Now, uh, every new season that comes along with American Horror Story isn't always 
what I hope it will be. Uh, I think there's a lot of great ideas there, but I think probably the drawback uh, of American Horror Story is that things just get way too complicated. Uh, it's just a lot of these storylines would probably do well to be pared down to a five or six episode story. Because I, I think with a lot of these stories, there's a great idea. There's a great premise. But then you have to fill 10, 11, 12, 13 episodes. And I think it just leaves a lot of room for making things way more complicated than they really need to be with flashbacks and, you know, uh, prequel, you know, essentially what amounts to throwing a prequel to the story in the middle of the story. And that just, it takes any momentum away. And that's always been one of my, as much as I've loved every season, I've loved the idea of every season. There are some parts of some seasons where I'm just like, oh God, here we go again. And that's part of the reason why I loved American Horror Stories is because you're you're boiling these stories down to their essence and a short format really makes you cut the fat. And that's one of the things I loved about most of the stories in American Horror Stories. The only, the only one I really didn't care for was the one where they kept going back to the murder house. And that, that was a, another very convoluted, very complicated story that kind of spilled over into uh, the American Horror Stories short story anthology format. And it just, uh, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. But the other, like, just absolutely standalone stories were the ones I enjoyed the most in that. So, suffice to say that I was really excited to see what they were going to do with this double feature uh, story. Uh, what they were going to do with it. Was it going to be the two independent stories uh, in a sh shorter stories in a season? And, and that's exactly what they did. And... I didn't know what to make. I tried not to read too much about what was in store for the double feature season of American Horror Story. So I was going into it completely blind. I knew some of the actors that were going to be coming back. Uh, Finn Whit Whitrock uh, plays essentially the lead in this. And there again, another actor who was kind of brought in to the American Horror Story franchise and has been... <clears throat> One of those actors that just keeps getting more and more solid with every season he's in. And this one, uh, I don't think he gets top billing, uh, but he was the rock star of American Horror Stories double feature Red Tide. For me, he showed that he is bona fide leading man material. He is a, a bona fide uh can carry uh, a season, can carry a story, and his acting is probably some of the best act acting I've seen of his in in the American Horror Story franchise, and and even beyond that. Just some of the things he did, especially kind of as the season went on, uh, just some fantastic acting from Fint Whitrock, and I uh, can't wait to see more from him. Uh, I would like that. Of course, I, I'm I'm a huge horror fan, sci-fi, fantasy, all that jazz. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't. But I'd like to see him in more stuff like that. But just you know, more more from Finn Whitrock in general. I think uh, I think he needs to be cast in more things because uh, the dude can really 
really bring it. He's got the acting chops, and I think he proved that in this. And I think he's probably going to be getting some more calls. Uh, not that, you know, any, I, I don't think anybody ever doubted it, but uh, this really was a great performance from him. And, and really the whole cast. Really a lot of fantastic acting in this. And so I'm going to try not to be too spoilery. That's one of the things I've been really hesitant about is how spoiler I've been in some of my reviews in the past. Now you can't do a review without some spoilers, but I am going to try and not be too spoilery, talk about themes, talk about uh, performances, uh, talk about scenes and stuff like that. But I, uh, I'm going to try not to be too spoilery for you. So, uh, but you have to you have to start somewhere and the first episode we really start with uh this family we meet the gardeners uh, of course uh finn whitrock plays a harry gardner the father uh the mother doris gardner she's with child they've got uh, a young daughter alma gardner played by ryan kira armstrong who again uh child actors and actresses can be uh, difficult sometimes it, with all the problems that come along with with child actors uh ryan kira armstrong she dispelled any of those uh she did a fantastic job and she was able to perform with some really heavy themes and some really heavy material but we meet this gardener family and they're they're moving to uh provincetown massachusetts for the winter because uh, harry gardner is a writer he writes uh, screenplays for for television teleplays and he needs to work on this script. Uh, it's a rewrite, and he just wants to move—not uh, move, but they've—they've they've decided to to spend the winter in this uh, this small Massachusetts town uh, on the coast to you know have some seclusion so he can work on his uh, his play, his screenplay, and uh, it, it really has kind of a kind of a shining vibe to it. Uh, you know, the, the author, the writer, uh, looking for seclusion to try and work on a manuscript and, and they really kind of play on that with the, uh, cinematography, you know, lots of, uh, lots of views from above, uh, lots of, uh, scenes where, uh, you know, you, you see, uh, a lot of isolation of characters, isolation of them driving, uh, a lot of uh, empty space uh, on the periphery of, of what you're supposed to be focusing on to kind of give you that uh, sense of isolation and being alone. And of course, in like any small town, uh, Stephen King writes a lot about this. I mean, it's kind of a kind of a thing you know in, in horror the strangers come into the small town small town people uh like to stick to themselves they like their own and they don't like strangers coming in and uh, that really plays well in horror and and it's no different here they they really play off that you know strangers coming into town um people we don't like your kind sort of situation and uh, it really just adds to the isolation you know they they've moved from new york city i believe that's where they were where, where they were originally from and uh, to stay here for the winter and they just do not feel welcome and you find out that there are things going on in this town that uh, you, nobody's making a big deal of but they should be <laughs> And 
I, I at first I didn't get it, but it kind of plays out in the the final episode called uh, Winter Kills, um, as to why there are things going on in this town that the the police chief, uh, everyone in the town, kind of you can tell they know what's going on, but they're not doing anything about it. And why aren't they doing anything about it? And you've got this family who comes into this situation, this small town and sees what's going on. They can't make sense of it and they can't get any answers. Uh, at least none that suffice. None that are really, uh, helpful. None that really make them, uh, at ease about what they've experienced. And right away, Lily Rabe's character, Doris uh, Gardner, uh, doesn't like it there, doesn't want to be there. And that really kind of, I, th I think that's really where the rift starts in the family. Again, this is a lot like The Shining. I don't know if if uh, Murphy and Falchuk really had any uh, influence in The Shining when they wrote a lot of this, um, but it really felt like The Shining, the, the dissolving of the family. And, and it all really kind of starts there where, you know, Harry Gardner wants to come here, wants to write this play. Uh, his wife uh, wants to leave right away, even though she's got a job. She's an interior designer and she's agreed to, to redesign the house that they're staying in while they're in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And that really, I think, kind of starts the rift between the family and of course their daughter Alma is this child prodigy violinist and just wants to be better and better. She wants to go back to the city so she can, uh, you know, play her violin for, you know, whoever, but we see that play out as the, as the story goes on and we get introduced to two new characters, Belle Noir and Austin Summers, played by the the great Francis Conroy and Peter Evans. They're a pair of writers. Uh, she is a kind of a smut novelist. He is a playwright, and they come and winter in Provincetown. And Harry's suffering from a, a little bit of writer's block and probably uh, dealing with a little trauma uh, as he's had a run-in with what they call pale people. Um, they're chalked up to being opioid addicts, but as you watch, you'll realize that there, there's a little more going on than, than, than just being opioid addicts. But Austin eventually introduces Harry to this little black pill, gives him a baggie of these little black pills that he names Muse. Uh, and Pretty much the, the whole idea of the story is that if you take one of these pills, if you have any talent whatsoever, that talent will be amplified by a thousand. Uh, if you don't have any talent, you are going to fall into, well, you're going to become one of the pale people. Uh, I hope that's not too spoilery. Uh, it, it may be a little spoilery, but they, they really talk about all this really in the first episode. So it's not a huge spoiler. Uh, these pale people uh, have no hair. They have fangy teeth and they pop and jerk around like they're in a Michael Jackson thriller video. Uh, and most of them are dressed like that. <laughs> that was one of the things when I when I saw the first episode, uh, I, I wondered why all these pale people 
were dressed like they were in David Byrne from the Talking Heads. They looked like they raided his closet. Big shoulder pads, kind of popping and freaking like he does in a lot of his videos, like a once in a lifetime video or uh, burning down the house. It just it was it just made me laugh. I, I felt. Uh, like it was a throwback to the 80s and maybe and they really kind of explained that a little bit later but uh austin uh played by evan peters gives harry these uh, pills and you know this will cure his writer's block there's a downside if he doesn't have any talent then he's going to turn into one of these people but if he does it's going to make all of his dreams come true and harry decides to take the pill and uh and it comes to pass that he does have talent and he starts writing feverishly. They're about to leave. He agrees to leave because uh, his wife, Doris, and she doesn't want to, to be around there anymore because of the pale people and the things that she's gone through with them. Uh, just as Beth, they're, they're about to drive off. Inspiration hits him and he starts writing and he writes feverishly. And, and it really plays out quick you know before long he's getting offers from netflix and he's getting you know all of it all the stuff that he's writing is is uh is starting to sell and the door still just wants to leave alma decides that she wants to stay uh because she's seen that he's taking these little black pills and and i think she kind of puts together that this is the reason why he's writing so well and writing so much, but we also get introduced to some other characters. Uh, there's Mickey played by Macaulay Culkin, which was awesome to see Macaulay Culkin. I knew he was going to be a part of this season. I didn't know in what capacity, uh, it was great to see Macaulay Culkin back in front of the, the camera and on the screen because he did a, he did a fantastic job. Uh, he plays kind of this, uh, male prostitute um druggie uh that lives around town and just does whatever he can to get uh to get some money to get high and we also find out that uh tuberculosis karen this other character she's kind of like the town uh nutso and she's always coughing which i don't know if they did this on purpose uh just because of the whole paranoia of covid uh covid really doesn't come into play in this but uh, what a what a horrifying thing it was to hear anybody coughing in the grocery store when you were out and about uh, thanks to COVID. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but uh, but they made her. She had this constant cough, and you know she's a drug drug addict as well, homeless, and uh, and Mickey and Karen are kind of friends, and they have a lot of interactions with some of the characters. Uh, they don't really. Um, they don't really have any main purpose in the story other than uh, what we'll find out later was the setup. Um, Mickey was a, a part of the setup and what got this town to this state. Uh, Karen kind of does uh, the bidding for the Bell Noir character, Francis Conroy's character. Um, they don't advance a story in any way, but they are 
uh, interesting characters and and fun characters that I enjoyed watching uh, these two fine actors, Macaulay Culkin and Sarah Paulson, playing these roles. I, I didn't even realize Tuberculosis Karen was Sarah Paulson until probably the second or third episode. Uh, just they, they transformed her so much. And it wasn't until she said something with Sarah Paulson. She's a, she's a fine actress, but she really plays a particular type of character. And usually that character is very weepy. And, uh, you know, woe is me type of character. And there was a scene where she kind of had that, had to act that type of character out and, or that aspect of her character out. And then I heard her voice do that kind of weepy uh, thing that she does. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Sarah Paulson. <laughs> I was wondering when she was going to show up. But uh, but two fine actors doing uh, outstanding jobs. Uh, Billy Lord is another character that's in here. She plays a, kind of a tertiary character. Uh, she plays a tattoo artist who does a little more than tattoos um, for anybody on the pill that... Uh, people are using uh, she she gives them a little bit of a an advantage in what they need to survive she also has a a little boutique in the front and we find out that she is the reason why everybody looks like they're uh they just went to cbgb's or or some new york club in the uh, early 1980s and it's kind of a a funny little story as to why uh, she has all these 80s clothes for these uh, pale people but uh but that really was kind of an interesting and, and fun little scene that they, the way they explained that away. But the whole story kind of hinges on whether, you know, Harry should or shouldn't have taken this pill. Uh, he learns that, you know, he's, he's got great success because he did take this pill, but with anything comes a price. And he pays the price for that. And and he pays a price bigger than what he could possibly fathom because his daughter uh, ends up paying the same price that he did. And it really plays a lot off the, um, the price of fame, the price of, of talent. Uh, there's a lot of themes going on in in this first part of season 10 of American horror stories, there's, there's a lot about talent, uh, versus not being talented and how people with perceived talent, uh, it's almost like they feel superior to everyone else. Um, I, I wonder if that is, uh, maybe a jab by the creators, you know, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk at, uh, uh, you know, American Horror Story is not getting nominated for many awards, uh, even though it is. You know, even though they have been good seasons, they've had some good writing and they've had outstanding acting. Um, you know, you're not seeing them getting recognized, and I, I wonder if that's a jab at what is considered in Hollywood to be top tier talent as far as writing and show creation, and what is considered not so talented uh, i wonder if that's a jab by them at the the hollywood elite uh there's also a lot in regards to uh you know uh 
studios and agents. Uh, there's an agent, uh, Harry's agent, played by Leslie Gorman. Uh, her name's Ursula Kahn in this. And she she kind of plays, I mean, Leslie Gorman, she's been in a, a few seasons of American Horror Story now. And uh, she uh, does an excellent job. But this one, she just kind of plays the stereotypical uh, Hollywood agent that will do anything to make a, make a buck. She'd pull out her grandma's gold fillings uh, to make a buck and sell it, sell the rights to them or whatever. But uh, she kind of plays that that sleazy uh, Hollywood agent. And I think there's a lot uh, that the creators of this story uh, were saying about that. And, uh, you know, the, the pound of flesh. Uh, proverbially and maybe even literally that one has to to do to to give uh to make it in this business and um there's i I mean without giving too much away um there's a lot about you know sucking you know blood sucking uh you know hollywood types have been portrayed in in talk and banter in the magazines and whatnot as out for blood uh, blood sucking leeches and and this show really uh takes that metaphor to to quite literal levels and uh, it was it was very interesting to see um see it all play out you know what would you do to be famous i mean it, i think that was probably to me uh the main theme of this you know there's a price for fame. There's a price for having talent and uh, a price for uh, putting that talent on display. And, you know, you got to sacrifice something uh, to get to those higher levels. And, and that even plays out in the in the Alma character. Uh, Ryan Keard Armstrong, her character Alma Gardner is a fantastic virtuoso type uh, violinist at a young age. I mean, she's what, I think like nine or 10 in the show, maybe even in real life. I'm not 100% sure on that, but, uh, you know, she's, she's one of these virtuosos that is probably only going to get better. She's going to be, uh, the best. Uh, but there is a, a song that she cannot master at such a young age and it's probably something she would master in time. Uh, she tells a story about uh, a, a violinist who could not master this song and ended up killing themselves because they could not. And she wants to be able to play it. And she wants to be the best. She's driven to be the best. And it's not even so much... Uh, I, I don't think... You don't really get a sense that it's pressure from her parents. It's a, it's a self-drive. And... And she is pushing herself uh, beyond her limits. And that is frustrating for a child. It's frustrating for anyone, but especially frustrating for a child. And she wants to push herself over the edge and, and to be the very best without really having to work for it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of metaphor in that. Yeah, especially for the younger generation. You know, everybody wants to be a superstar, but they don't want to have to pay the dues to get there. And, and that causes her to make a decision that is detrimental to herself and her family. And I, I, I thought that was just a, 
a really interesting way to take the story. That's one of the things I loved about this story. It, it to me, felt more like a straight-up horror story without all the convolution, without all the, you know backstories and let's let's take you here and then go back into the past and find out about this character i mean there was a couple flashbacks but it was only really uh to set up not even to set up to explain what had happened to this point and and they weren't even really necessarily i don't think and i'll talk about those here briefly but uh this this really felt like the most uh cohesive story they've had to date uh, because you focused on the family. The family was the the focus, the crux of this story. And the disillusion of the family and the bad choices. You know, you've got a family full of really good people. Uh, Harry Gardner's a good guy. Uh, his wife, Doris, is a, a good woman. Alma's a, a good kid. But... Because they they want more. They want more than what they have. So they make bad choices. And and I think that was a, a probably one of the uh, biggest themes of this that I I really enjoy in any horror movie is good people making bad decisions uh, is usually what leads to almost every horror story being a horror story. And, and I thought that was uh, such a, a classic way to, to tell a story and, you know, you don't complicate it. You don't have to dumb it down, but don't overcomplicate things. Let the story be the story. Let's linger on these characters. Let's linger on this story. Let's linger on these people and what they're doing uh, right and wrong. And let's see where it takes them. And And they really had the patience to, to do that with this uh, story. Uh, you didn't have too many side characters coming in. You had just enough. You know, I think that it's one of those cases where uh, you don't over-egg the pudding. And, and I don't think they over-egged the pudding. There's some of seasons in the past that, uh, and, and maybe some people like eggy pudding, but, uh, but for the most part, that's not a good thing. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching baking shows a lot lately. But uh, there's been too many seasons of American Horror Story where they just tried to cram in too much. And the simplicity of this, which I think, uh, can be partially attributed to it being just six episodes uh, really helped that. But I really enjoyed this story. Um, it, it plays out uh, for the most part how you would expect it to play out. And I was really excited for kind of a shocking ending. Um, you had some Amazing performances. Like I said, Finn Whitrock was fantastic. Really led the troops. He was the, like I said, he was the rock star of this for me because he he carried this story with such emotion. You know, you really believe that he was this, this guy, good guy, just wants to write an amazing screenplay and be recognized for it. And that's what anybody with any sort of talent really wants and 
And when he can't, you, you feel that frustration. When the family starts to break down, you feel that frustration, that exhaustion uh, of him just wanting to, to do the right thing and get his family back. And, you know, he, he carried a lot of emotional weight in this story that, uh, that a lesser actor uh, I don't think would have handled well. You either wouldn't have read the exhaustion or it would have been too melodramatic. And I think Finn Whitrock did a fantastic job of, of bringing strength, but empathy to this character. Uh, you know, he was a strong character. He was a lead. He was a leading man, but you also felt that, that, you know, just about to break quality of, you know, I'm losing my family and I, I, I gotta stay strong for them. I gotta, I've gotta do what I've got to get this train back on the tracks and, uh, did a fantastic job. Lily Rabe was, uh, another, you know, she's, her, her work in um, in general, but in American Horror Story, uh, speaks for itself, and she really played. <laughs> it was it was kind of funny because in some regards you felt sorry for her, you felt empathy for her, but in some regards you're like, oh my god, could you not just you know understand where where the hairy character is coming from? And she just played those different facets of this character, Doris Gardner, so well. Uh, in some instances you really felt horrible for her uh, even with her irrational fear of Lyme disease <laughs> that, that was a whole thing that just it, it made me laugh because it seems so odd but there are some people like that I've known people that just are petrified to go outside because of Lyme disease I, I don't know why but I mean not that Lyme disease is anything to be laughed at uh, but you know to have that be your biggest fear uh, it just seemed kind of odd, but at any rate, she really, she really brought it. And she had some scenes towards the end where she's kind of being manipulated into doing something, making a bad choice, making bad choices for the right reasons, uh, is something, like I said earlier, you know, uh, good people making bad choices is the cornerstone of horror movies. And, and in this making bad choices for the right reasons, I think is an extension of that. And she's manipulated into making this choice that she makes that causes, uh, even more demise to the family. Uh, she played that so well, you know, the situation in which she's in, where she's being and the episode is called gaslight and it really uh that speaks to to what happens in this episode i being I believe that's the penultimate episode but gaslight really is uh a perfect uh episode title for that because she really is gaslit into making this choice manipulated into making this choice by somebody you wouldn't expect Maybe you do expect it at that point in the show. Uh, but generally speaking, especially at the beginning of the show, you wouldn't expect it from this character. But uh, but she makes a bad choice because she is, is kind of um, talked into it by somebody that uh, it really... And, and it kind of takes us into... You know, without... Uh, I don't want to give too much away. 
But it, it really is uh, that scene where she makes that choice. She just does. She's acting her heart out in, in, in a subtle, nuanced way. It's not over the top. It's not melodramatic. But, uh, but it's so believable. And you just, you're like, please, please don't do this. And you know she's going to do it anyway. And you're just, you're, you're pleading with the TV, don't. And and she, like I said, she makes this choice and and the consequences are quite obvious. And speaking of uh, the family, you know, you can't, you can't go without talking about Ryan Kira Armstrong playing Alma Gardner. That, that kid, uh, if Finn Whitrock was the rock star of this, she was the, uh, she's the, you know, he's the front man. She is the, the ax player. She's on guitar just shredding because she did such a fantastic job. You really believed every bit of her because, you know, she played such a, a sweet kid, but then you saw this, this drive in her to become better and, you you know it's on it's you know that sort of drive is unhealthy in a kid so young but you know you she just wants to to be the best she can be and and that's an admirable thing so it can't be that bad and you see where that drive and that passion can turn uh poisonous and and she really her character arc from from the beginning to the end is so massive that uh for her to be able to carry all that and uh without giving too much away i really there was a a point in the in the one episode i can't remember if that's that was the final episode uh winter kills where she gives a look to the agent ursula and it felt to me like uh you remember the girl from the bad seed uh the 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 old 50s version or i think they did a uh made for tv movie in the 80s uh either one of those would work or or damien from the omen it just kind of had that vibe about it and uh but she did such a fantastic job the weight of of you know the the dialogue she had to give i mean she was given some pretty heavy stuff and and she really kind of um i think was the first character to really open the door to the conversation of 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 this theme i think that that they were trying to go for in this the the haves and the have-nots when it comes to talent and this sort of perceived superiority by those who feel they're more talented than other people and she really is the voice for that and there there are several scenes where she's talking to harry almost talking to harry and questioning whether they need uh to have their mother around to have her mother around doris them you know the, uh, harry's wife uh because she's obviously not talented she hasn't taken the pill but she's obviously not talented and and they don't need her i mean this coming from her daughter which is a frightening thing i mean you you, you think of it and if it were reversed and parents talking about how they wish they didn't have their kid, we, we've seen that <clears throat> in movies before. We've seen that in TV shows. Oh, I wish you'd never been born, that sort of thing. It's horrible and it's horrifying to, to think a parent would say that about their kid. But when it's reversed and the kid is, is saying that we don't need this parent, 
we'll be all right without her. That's, that's a, that's a frightening thing to hear because, you know, parents are the protectors of kids. They're the providers for kids. They are the, the moral compass by which kids learn to be good and thriving parts of civilization. And when a kid tells you that they don't need that, that's one, it's scary to think where that kid's going to go from here. Uh, and two, it's, it's scary to think the lengths at which that kid will go to make that happen because we've already seen that she's got a lot of drive and it, it plays out in a very uh, interesting way that I think really this show did very well. And like I said, I'm not going to get very spoilery with that, but it's really something that, uh, that, uh, just, it, it gives me chills just thinking about it. So, you know, everybody in that, that main gardener family, just fantastic acting jobs. Um, the two stalwarts of the American story, horror story franchise, Evan Peters and Francis Conroy, uh, playing kind of the antagonists in this. Uh, I mean, they come across as good people just looking to help, but you find out that they are, like anyone in Hollywood, they're cutthroat and willing to do whatever it takes to keep the comfortable lifestyle in which they've grown accustomed to uh, intact. And they will do horrible things uh, to make that happen. And as we see in some instances, uh, Francis Conroy is already doing horrible things. Uh, regard, I mean, they're 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 doing horrible things regardless. But Francis Conroy is doing uh, things just oh, her character. It's it's chilling. Uh, this one scene where she asks. Uh, the Sarah Paulson character, tuberculosis Karen, to bring her something. And when you realize what she has brought her uh, is horrifying. And Sarah Paulson plays the agony that she feels for what she has done, what she has brought uh, the Belle Noir character. She just plays it so well. She play Sarah Paulson plays agony very well. Um, I chalked it up to, you know, she does the old woe is me, but it's, it's even more so than that. It's not self pity. It's agony. Sarah Paulson plays agony, uh, in a weepy sense very well. And there is never a moment that you question that when, when you see her uh, portraying these characters in such agony, you never question it, even though, you know, that's the type of character. I know that's the type of character I'm going to get, especially in American horror story. Now, other, other, you know, vehicles she's been a part of, maybe not so much, but I know a lot of the times in American Horror Story, she plays a character that is full of a lot of agony and she plays that so well and so much that you can feel it. And sometimes it can be a little, oh, okay, here we go again. It's another Sarah Paulson crying scene, but a lot of times she just nails it and you don't think about the fact that you've seen her doing this before. You're, you're just in the moment and you're just enjoying uh, a fine performance. And and that's really what you got. You know, the, the Belle Noir, uh, Francis Conroy and Evan Peters, uh, they, they did a fantastic job. I'm not going to go too much into their characters because their characters are pretty one note uh, 
bad guy antagonist, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, the reason things get bad and the reason things get worse because they realize the mistake they made and they're going to do worse things to try and, and clean up their mistake. Uh, they do a fantastic job, but you would expect that from Evan Peters and Francis Conroy. So there's really not too much to say about them. But but Sarah Paulson and Macaulay Culkin, uh, their two characters, the relationship that their two characters have, they're secondary characters, and I don't think that their characters really propel the story forward in any way. But as kind of a side story, they had an interesting relationship. And to see those two uh, working together was really kind of magical because some of the scenes they had, like I said, while they, they really didn't do anything to advance the story, they had some fantastic scenes that really made you empathize for these characters. You you tried to, un, you know, you got to where you understood where they were coming from and and why they were the way they were. And, you know, it's it kind of played into the whole, uh, you know, walking in somebody else's shoes. You you see these people, this guy, he's a prostitute and he's just, you know, willing to give anybody a, a blowjob or a handjob or or a lay for, for a few bucks so he can go get some meth. Uh, but at one time he was a writer. Or at least he 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 fancied himself a writer, and he had bigger dreams. He just kind of got caught up in this, uh, you know, hit a low spot and got caught up in in this, and you know he can't get out. Uh, the guy's got talent, but you know, how is he going to be able to show that? How is anybody ever going to find that? Uh, she's the same way. She's a painter. Uh, she used to paint before she got hooked on on meth. And, you know, started walking around like a bag lady. Um, she was a fine painter. And, and you really see a lot of scenes where they talk about their past and talk about their lives that they'd want to have. And, and just, uh, it was a lot of scenes that just, uh, like I said, not, not really pertinent to the storyline, but they were just great character scenes that, you really got to understand these characters that were just kind of secondary uh, characters throughout the the whole story. And you got to, to understand them a little more. And how their story played out there, again, like I said, uh, it didn't really have too much bearing on how the main story played out. But it was interesting. It was tragic. It was heartbreaking to see how these two characters and the, the agony that is felt and the the tragedy that that plays out before us is just something special that i i you know like i said i i didn't think that storyline had much bearing on the main storyline but it was amazing to watch uh it was amazing to watch those two performers the writing of those scenes that those two shared was spectacular and I think Macaulay Culkin and Sarah Paulson were, like I said, not main uh, centerpieces of this story, but a, a part of the story that really made this season or this half of the season 
terribly enjoyable. And then, of course, you had the other characters, some of the side characters. Uh, like I said, Leslie Grossman uh, did a fantastic job as the as the kind of sleazy Hollywood agent. Uh, very a very one note character, manipulative, <laughs> kind of the. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say the diabolical uh, Hollywood agent, but uh, really no one's best interest but her own in in mind. It kind of a caricature of the Hollywood agent. Uh, chief Burleson, the police chief, played by uh, Adina Porter, who I kind of talked about earlier. She wasn't in the whole season, and you'll find out why. Uh, very horrific scene, uh, an unexpected scene at that. But uh, she she's such a fantastic actress, and she's one of those actresses that uh, she can play so many different types of roles, and she does it so well. And this this role was was no different. Uh, she kind of played that no nonsense since police chief. That at first you kind of you know when when the gardeners first move into this town and they're having problems with the pale people, and she just kind of seems aloof to it all. And it, it plays out in the in the final episode, I think, a little more as to why. But you you also find out that maybe she's not in on it like like so many other people, um, and she's trying to to put the pieces together as to what's going on in this town herself. And uh, she just played that part really well. And it, it's actors like that that add. Uh, a bit of gravitas to the to the tertiary characters that really make uh, a cast like this work. You know, there there was no there were no slouches in this cast. Uh, even in some of the more recurring characters, you know, you got people like uh, Dennis O'Hare. That guy can, you know, he can steal a scene no matter where he's at <laughs> and 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 he does a fantastic job and there's a scene at, at the end where uh the state police are brought in to this town council meeting uh, of which Dennis O'Hare is a part of and uh, y- you see that the town is in on this the town knows what's going on uh but they like the money that is being brought in uh during the summer months and they don't want to scare people away uh, by letting out what happens in the wintertime when these writers and these uh, playwrights, authors and playwrights and screenwriters come to town uh, so they can get their fix on, on this Black Pill Muse and all the carnage that ensues. They don't want to scare people off. At, so they're willing to put up with that just so... All the tourists come in the summertime and aren't scared away. And uh, Dennis O'Hare is a, a, a big part of that. And uh, just, you know, like I said, uh, most of the t- scenes he is in, he, he steals. And that's just a, uh, a tip of the hat to the, the type of casting that American Horror Story has always had. Uh, if for any critique one would have, about American Horror Story, the franchise, the season, the various seasons, uh, the cast has never been a problem. The cast is always rock solid. And and this uh, first part of the double feature, Red Tide, was rock solid cast-wise. And for my money, rock, star, rock solid horror-wise and rock solid story-wise, uh, the only... 
issues I really had came towards the end. The finale was a little lackluster. You had this fantastic story, this very focused story, this very concise story about this family. They've come to this small town. Uh, they've made bad decisions. You've got these antagonists that are, are trying to do them in. Uh, and, and then the end just got really complicated. And I, I hated to see what happened with the ending. The the big grand finale, the big um, climax was a little lackluster and a little complicated. Uh, there's this, you know, almost a third storyline about this scientist that works for the government that came to Provincetown to work on this drug that would enhance people's lack of creativity for lack of a better term, because a soldier that is not creative, uh, will not be distracted by creative thoughts. They'll just be hardened killing machines. So to make somebody not creative, you have to find out how to make them more creative. And that's how this pill was, was derived only as a side effect if you were creative you became more creative more creative if you weren't creative then you became one of the pale people and they dedicated most of an episode to that um the very end they brought back this same scientist who, who's a, a background character in some of the later episodes but there was a another drug that she came up with that brought about the effects that necessitated the climax without without really giving too much away. You have this climax between the talented people that have taken the drug and the untalented people that have taken the drug. Uh, normally, the untalented people would not have anything to do. Uh, the pale people would not have anything to do. They stay away from from people who have taken the drug and are talented, have their talent uh enhanced um it just like i said it, it just got all very complicated and it didn't have to be uh you didn't need to introduce this new drug that uh made the pale people want to attack the you know talentedly enhanced people for lack of a better term it just it, it was uh, it just got very complicated and then the the really the the final stroke, the final knife swing of the the horror in this, uh, at least for the main story, uh, was kind of telegraphed because of something that happened earlier. It wasn't a surprise, uh, and it could have been a surprise. It should have been a surprise. The, the final blow, if you will, to this story could have been a huge surprise, but they didn't treat it as such, and it was a little... Again, lackluster. Uh, if, if you would have set up what happens at the very end of this main story, the very end of the climax, if you would have set that up as a huge surprise, unexpected, uh, then that would have been a great stab to the end of, end of this story. And then we head into the denouement and, you know, Bob's your uncle. But they didn't do that. They... they foretold what was going to happen 
so far ahead that it was no surprise at all. And then we kind of come into the the ending where Ursula, the agent, uh, the doctor, the chemist, which I don't even think we know her name. I think she just goes by the chemist. But Angelo, Angelica Ross uh, played her. A, a fine job. It's just her character didn't really have too much to do other than exposition and and being the reason there was this pill in the first place. Uh, but they're off in Hollywood because uh, because Ursula, the, the agent, wants to take these pills and have an army of talented people in her agency and rule Hollywood, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, Alma's with them. And she wants to be the best violinist. And we see her uh, again, another scene where it could have, it could have played out a lot better. This whole, you know, kind of final wrap up of the, the season could have played so much better. Had they gone even further into the future, almost an adult. And we see the, uh, the ravages of, constantly needing this pill to be better and better uh, because if you stop taking the pill you lose the effects if you keep taking the pill you're gonna you know you're gonna maintain that enhanced level of, of talent and if we would have seen the effects of years of taking this pill on her as an adult uh, what price that she would have paid because of that uh, the price she would have paid knowing what she's done uh that would have been interesting but we see her just you know maybe mere months later she's trying out for uh first chair in some orchestra out in hollywood and there's a scene with her and the other finalist for this uh, a young man who talks about how she's not going to get the job she's better than him she tells him she's better than him but he's he's like you know that's not going to be enough because, you know, with her being the best and being first chair, there's going to be expectations. Uh, everybody's going to be disappointed when there isn't a violin solo. So they're going to pick him because uh, I can't remember. I, I read somewhere, uh, somebody put it how he's good enough and it's better to take somebody good enough without the baggage than picking the best with the baggage. So it, it, it really played into that. And they could have done that. What happened there was just kind of lowest common denominator horror stuff. Uh, they could have done something a little more interesting with that. Uh, the way it all played out was a very apocalyptic feel. <laughs> they left Hollywood in, in, in this kind of disarray because the chemist had been uh, feeding these these pills to racist cops, which, you know, I, I get it. I get the justice behind that. Uh, you know, these racist cops who, you know, aren't talented, they turn into these monsters, uh, you know, that sort of thing, get shot by other cops. Uh, I get the justice behind that. It just it felt so out of place in this story. Uh, it felt so out of place at the end of this story. I mean, that's that could have been a whole other season of American Horror Stories, that sort of justice uh, being played out. But uh, it just the ending, again, is 
probably what I feel happens wrong with most other seasons of American Horror Story. It just got too complicated. They tried to do too much in what essentially was like the last 20 minutes of the show. When they could have ended it so simply. I mean, the story was very concise, very consistent, very uh, succinct. And and it felt like uh, such a departure from the rest of the seasons of American Horror Story. And if they would have ended it like that, uh, this could have been a fantastic season. It's still a really good season. Still probably my favorite season of American Horror Story. I love this story uh, better than most anything. It was kind of like The Shining meets Salem's Lot. And uh, it kind of had a lot of those vibes for me. And uh, it won't be the first time this week that I'll have mentioned uh, Salem's Lot because we're going to be doing a, a... an episode of the podcast coming up on Thursday, which I'll I'll talk about here uh, before the end of the episode. But uh, it, it kind of had a Shining Meet Salem's Lot vibe to it. Um, and it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed this season of American Horror Story. And I, as I said, I've, I've loved a lot about all the other seasons, but I've never been totally happy with the complete season. Whereas this, I was co- totally happy with the... Well, at least the first half of the season, because this is a two-parter, but uh, it wasn't until that last episode. And and even then, it still wasn't up until the very end, the climax, and then the denouement, uh, that I that's where they kind of jumped off the track for me. And uh, it was kind of sad to see, because I really want this season to be... Uh, really good for them because uh, unfortunately American Horror Story uh, the ratings have been kind of declining over the years Uh, they kind of peaked during the Coven Freak Show seasons Uh, Hotel was was still pretty good but it's been on a downward slide ever since and and this season probably the lowest ratings they've had yet uh, thus far and that's and that's disappointing because it doesn't bode well for the the series I hope uh, whatever happens to American Horror Story, the the series, I hope it doesn't affect American Horror Stories because I like what they're doing with that, doing the standalone episodes. I think really they need to to do more like this where they, they shorten up seasons or they shorten up stories so they can focus on things. And, and I hope they learn from this because I think it's been a lot of complaints with a lot of critics and reviewers is that the the ending was lackluster and it got too too much too complicated in such a short amount of time to, to make things so complicated just uh, didn't serve the story that they had told up until that point so uh, I'm excited to see what happens next in the American store horror story double feature season because we have Death Valley which one of the things that really made me curious about this season, this double feature season, was all of the uh, promotional teasers that they did for this. Because they did it with the, uh, you know, you had the representation of the pale person. You had the representation of the alien. Uh, they're making out. Um, and there again, that's that's one of the things I, I liked about this season that probably is a detriment to a lot of the other season. Uh, I talked about this on my American Horror Stories uh, episode here a a few episodes back, is that 
this season, one of the things I liked about it, it didn't delve into everybody's uh, sex life or sexuality. Or, I mean, so many of these other seasons of American Horror Story just get so caught up in who's screwing who that it just like takes you out of any of the horror. Um, and and I, I don't I don't need to see that every every season. I mean, I'm like, okay, you've done that before. It's it's played out. I want horror. I don't want Peyton Place or I don't want a soap opera with uh, who's cheating on who or who's banging who or that sort of thing. Uh, and that's one of the things I liked about this. It's not that you can't have any sexuality or or things of that nature, but you know, when it's when you focus most of the story on that and not the actual characters and not the actual uh, horror and not the part of the story that really matters, uh, it just it takes me out of it. And and that, that's what I loved about this season because you didn't have all that nonsense. Uh, nobody cared about who's screwing who, who's cheating on who, who's banging who. Uh, oh, they're a same-sex couple. Uh, you know, he's a closet. You know, th- there was just none of that. Not that there's anything wrong with that in the right place. Uh or the right story, but Jesus, when you when you're focusing so much real estate in a, a TV series to, like I said, soap opera stuff, uh, that to me does not make for good horror stories. And that's what this is. It's American horror story. I want more horror and less uh, Skinamax. Uh, but that's one of the things I thought they did really well with this. And outside of the outside of the pale person and the alien making out in the teaser promos but uh but i really uh i'm excited to see where they go with death valley of course they have the first episode is going to be airing on september 29th it's called take me to your leader kind of plays into the whole uh you know alien vibe that they've got going on with this and very interested to see uh Manny Cotto who I thought was uh just amazing uh did a lot of amazing writing in American Horror Stories um and he's worked with the franchise he actually uh co-wrote with Brad Falchuk the last two episodes of of the Red Tide portion of this season uh he's got a hand in both the first two episodes of the Death Valley, half of the American Horror Story double feature. So it'll be interesting to see um, where where this goes. And Max Winkler, Henry Winkler's son, directing the first episode. So I'm interested to see uh, what they do with the alien genre of horror and science fiction. And do they do anything different? Um, you know, Red Tide was a, a very different take on the vampire uh, subgenre of horror, and I'm interested to see what they do with the the alien uh, close encounter sort of subgenre of horror with this Death Valley uh, season. So really excited to uh, to check that out coming up uh, as soon as that season, as soon as the rest of the season is finished, then we'll do uh, an episode dedicated to just part two and. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. See how the season plays out. Does it tie in in any way, shape, or form to the first half of the season with the Red Tide uh, storyline? I, I don't know, but 
like I said, excited to find out uh, how this season is going to play out. And uh, we'll find out coming up very soon. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. This uh, this episode was not scheduled. I I was planning on doing a Doom Patrol Season 2 um recap but doom patrol season two has been out i mean that's been finished for quite some time so i thought i wanted to be a little more uh you know up to date and since uh part one of uh the double feature season of american horror story just finished i decided you know what we're gonna do this and um the final episode of the month uh was gonna do kind of a uh, top movies, uh, top alien visitation movies. Uh, but I've decided I'm going to hold off on that because I can do that anytime. Um, that is not really date specific. And Midnight Mass just came out on Netflix, uh, a limited series from Netflix that I've been really excited to watch. And I've binged that over the weekend. And so we're going to be talking about that on Thursdays episode of odds bodkins curiosity shop so we've got that to look forward to um really excited to talk about that uh even probably i was really excited to talk about this but i'm probably even more so excited to talk about midnight mass because that was such a, a fantastic um a fantastic limited series and a lot to talk about, a lot to dig into with that. So that will be coming up on Thursday's episode. Uh, join us on Facebook with updates on everything that's going on with uh, new episodes coming out. Uh, of course, I'm always posting trailers and articles uh, about what's going on in the world of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. And uh, so check it out. Go check out the Facebook page, like it. Um, please leave a review on this podcast uh five star would be awesome uh let people know about it share subscribe and uh, and all that good stuff and uh, we thank you for your uh support um you know we're trying to to make this bigger and better with each episode and uh hopefully i'm doing that but uh like i said you're not uh, uh gonna try hard each week uh each episode to uh to be better uh, to do better and uh, make this uh, make this a fun experience uh, for you to to enjoy and listen to and uh, maybe maybe you'll get some insights that you didn't think about maybe you'll find out about something you didn't uh, uh, know you wanted to watch but uh, but thank you for listening and supporting this podcast and like I said uh, please leave those reviews so until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!